Good morning, and welcome to another exciting edition of Day 4 with Frank Scalish. You look like Here you're ready to hit the golf links this morning, Uncle Frank. I do not golf, as yeah, anybody you, knows. You look me. like you're... Mark yes. Jeffries would be very proud of the Nike polo. That is a... Uh, that is a ode get, to Mark Jeffries there. I had to do something other than the Hawaiian shirt. The only thing you're missing <laughs> is the sweater vest. Oh, yeah, that that'll be made happen. famous along with Bobby Knight. Yeah, Both of which happen. have similar uh, personalities <laughs> at times. But, uh, <laughs> so you're good at catching flying furniture? <laughs> yeah. Listen, I say that. I, I will roll this into today's show because uh, – a blast from the past like that, since it's been a while since we've seen the red sweater vest and Nike polo of Mark Jeffries on day four. But there's also something that everybody has in their tackle box that may not see the light of day every day, but is still just as deadly and just as effective as it was the day it was released. And I'm pretty sure, based on our pre-show meeting, that you're going to be taking, and I know pun intended here, a deep dive into yeah, the DD-22. Yes, I am as a, you know, the funny thing is, um, everybody that watches this show knows that Norman's are probably my favorite crankbaits. Um, that doesn't mean I don't throw other crankbaits cause I absolutely do. Um, but I cut my teeth on Norman's. I know almost every possible scenario you can do with Norman and the DD 22 is most assuredly one of my offshore go-to structure crankbaits so i what i want to do today is i want to show you techniques and explain why this bait works so well but i'm going to i'm not going to cliff note the techniques but um if you watch past episodes of offshore fishing you'll understand when i say i'm going to do this on a ledge or i'm going to do this on a high spot you'll understand that so i'm not going to go into the structure maps and break it out on the structure maps because mm -hmm. we've done that already but i i definitely want to talk about the dd22 so here's the here's the we call it an old school crankbait but here's the deal there's a few things about this bait. The DD-22 was one of the first crankbaits ever to be named by the depth that runs. Now, back then, they had an idea of how deep it would go. So they, call, they called it, basically, they called it a DD-22. But anybody that fishes this bait all the time will attest it's probably 17, 18 feet. On okay. twelve pound fluorocarbon. That wasn't one of your secret baits that you flashed up, was it? No, this is a bait that's going to be coming out very soon. Okay. I just within, wanted to make sure that we within the minute in trouble within the first five minutes of the show here, Uncle Frank. No, I actually took those baits and I stashed okay. them way over there. You so, won't even show those to me. You'll say, see this box <laughs> that you wish you could see what's in here, and I'm like, show me what's in there. We're not live. You won't say it. You're like, nope, can't do it. No, because these those bait those colors are coming out. I, okay, I have sorry. A, yeah, those are coming out. I'm talking about the ones that are coming out right now. Yep. Um, there's some new additions. And if you if you went into some of the Norman Fat Boy colors, some of those are also going into the DD22s. So so back to the DD22. So this this thing, this thing, this crankbait was an icon back in the day because it was one of the first to start promoting big build plugs. So they named it after the depth that ran. Um, as I stated earlier on 12 pound fluoro, seven and a half, eight foot uh, cranking rod, you're probably gonna get 16 to 18 feet out of it. There are tricks to make it go a little bit deeper. You can, you can control the depth uh, of your crankbait by doing two things changing your line size diameter or the pound strength of your fluorocarbon you're big on that i'm very big on it because here's what happens okay it's real easy increase line diameter or pound strength decreases depth go to thinner thinner line diameter less pound strength increases depth it's really not any more complicated than that. But why is that? I mean, I'm sure there's, I think I could, I think I know, but in your opinion, why, 
I mean, that's a standard thing in fishing, but right. is it literally just because of the resistance diameter. of the diameter? Like that yeah. much little of change makes that much difference? Yeah, it's huge. Like here, I can I can throw the DD-22 on 17-pound fluorocarbon and get it down 11 feet. So that's very important to know. But I, I'm going to – I believe I'm getting into that okay. coming up. That's part of it. Okay. Yeah, so let's just we'll, – let's just – you know, I derailed you. I'm sorry. No, it's not a derailment. It's you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the game here. Okay, we'll put it that way. All right. So let's, so the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about diving. Um, this lure swims down to depth where a fat free shad dives down an NXS is even a faster, harder diver. So when I say it's a hard diver or a fast diver, the dive curve doesn't go like that. The dive curve goes like that or like that. Okay. So it's, it's how fast the bait gets down to depth, swimming down, diving down. Um, so the DD 22 also has a small kick out where some of your deep diving crankbaits, when they hit an object, they're going to have a massive rollout and then correct itself and then get back to the business at hand. So the, the reason this slow kick out is important because it's not hard. It just kicks to the side, gets right back to business, kicks to the side, gets right back to business. Um, you have to know these things about your crankbaits. All crankbaits will behave differently. A lot of deep diving crankbaits are similar, but they have different attributes to them. So it's important to know this. So um, this bait will also has a reverse to it, but I'm gonna I'll get to that in a second. So everything that I'm telling you now is important to know about all your crankbaits. Just remember that because every crankbait is going to be different, and every crankbait is going to get strikes certain times when others won't, but we'll, we'll, we're going to get into that. So let's talk about some of the techniques. Okay. So the first technique with the DD 22 is very popular. Everybody knows it L ledges and rocks. Okay. So if I, the, the, I had to tell you about the small kick out first, because this is where it's really important. Um, so with the small kick out and you're fishing a boulder field, let's say, this gives you the ability to burn this bait through that field. Sometimes the bass want a bait moving. And so what happens, because it's not going to go wide on you, and then what happens is if it goes too wide, it flies up and it doesn't correct itself, and you're missing huge swaths of rock. So what this bait will do is it'll just start bouncing back and forth over the rocks, keeping the nose down, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. So that gives you the ability to burn it if you have to use that retrieve. Gives you to burn it. So we're talking ledges. So I told you earlier, this bait will swim down the depth. Well, why is that important? Well, if you've got suspending bass, a lot of times, and you'll know this from past shows, a lot of times if the ledge comes up to 14 feet, the bass will suspend off of that ledge. Or if the ledge comes up to 18 feet, the bass spent suspended 18 feet, but off the ledge. The guys with forward-facing sonar are learning this every day because forward-facing sonar showed them this, okay? So what when a bait swims down to depth, if your bass are suspending here, let me go, let me go here. If your bass are suspending here and your crankbait's pounding the bottom and it comes off the ledge and now it swims down, it's going to swim through those fish. Okay. Not where a hard diver will dive underneath them before it gets to them. Mm -hmm. So the swimming technique, the swimming dive on this bait is absolutely astronomical to get to those suspended fish without taking it beneath them because it as everybody knows, if bass are suspending, they rarely go down on a bait. They want it above them or through them to get the bite. So that's important to know. That's why I, when I talk about this stuff, pay attention because you have to know this with all your crankbaits. Um, the next thing is if you're fishing slow tapering brake lines because a lot of times the bass want I call them baby bumps. They're they're just come up and they're slow tapering. 
the swimming action, how it swims down to depth now gives you the ability to touch the bottom lightly as you're getting deeper and deeper, where a hard diver or a super fast diver will start dredging right away. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's just that small tick off of something every now and then that gets the bites. So that's important to know. Now, another thing is uh, deep standing timber. We went through this in a, the past couple episodes. This is one of my favorite ways to fish a crankbait is in deep standing trees. Now, because this bait swims to depth, you can literally roll it through the tree branches and it's not fighting itself to get down. It's just bouncing off the tree branches and it's not pulling hard to get down, which a lot of times will bury a crankbait in the tree branches. Also, we talked about the, the low kickout, the small kickout. This lets this bait bounce off of branches, correct itself, bounce off another branch without diving into the branches too deep and getting stuck. Or if you hit an errant branch before you get to the real treetop and it kicks way out, it's liable to snag in another branch. Yep. So this is also important. Um, the cool thing, the cool thing about this bait is I said it has a reverse. So if I'm working this thing through the tree branches, there's two things I do. Once I make contact with the top of the tree, I'll slow my retrieve down. I'll keep a nice line to the bait and I'll slow the retrieve down so I can feel it walking up and around all the branches. Another thing I'll do on my retrieve is I'll, the minute I make contact, I stop reeling and I start to sweep my rod through the tree. This gives me great control on getting this bait to come over. Don't ever pull it or over crank it in, in wood because you're going to force the bait to do something that it's not inclined to do. And that's bury up. Mm -hmm. Now the reverse, if you snag a branch with this bait. It snags in the branch. The first thing I do is I stop reeling immediately and I give it a controlled slack line and this bait actually will back up out of the branch. Once it backs free, you slowly start your retrieve again and then it goes on its way. Now, here's a cool thing that a lot of people don't understand. If you back this bait out of a uh, if you if you get it stuck and you stop reeling, if you go big slack line on it, this bait actually goes up and it twists, it spins around. So it goes up like a corkscrew. I have gotten so many bites doing that, it's ridiculous. It it'll if you if you semi slack line it, it'll back up like this. If you completely slack line it, it'll go in a big giant like spiral. a dying shed. Exactly. And the bass can't stand it. So that's, that's pretty much how I'm going to fish through standing trees. Another thing I use the DD 22 for, and guys freak out is grass. I fish the DD 22 over deep grass. It's one of my absolute deadliest techniques on any grass lake. And here's the thing guys, smallmouth and largemouth use the grass. And a smallmouth will absolutely masticate a DD-22. Like when they hit it, there's no guessing what you got. I mean, that, that's where the phrase loaded to the court came into play. Because they will literally take that thing like it, like it, it they, they smoke the thing. It's not even a guess. So when I'm fishing over deep grass, here's where your line diameter control is massively important. I'll go to, if the grass comes down and I see the deep, the last deep edge of the grass is in 12 feet, I immediately go to 17 pound fluoro because I know for a fact that this bait gets down 11, 12 feet on 17 pound fluoro because I forward faced it to make sure I knew exactly how deep it was going. So now this gives me the ability to if I'm paralleling a grass edge, for example, which which is really what I wanted forward-facing sonar for initially, was so I could make more accurate casts right to the grass lines. Mm -hmm. So when I parallel the grass with this thing, 
if you and you know how it is sometimes you have errant pieces of grass that come out if you have a hard edge there's still some grass that comes off that hard edge so if i hit one of those errant strands of grass with the heavy line i just crank down and snap the rod back and it blows through the grass which a lot of times is when you get the bite so so that's another thing to remember the other thing is if the grass edge goes down even deeper yet i can go to 14 or i can go to 12. now i never ever ever use 10 on grass edges um because you're just asking for heartbreak you you if the bass buries you up in the heavy grass and you're using 10 pound fluoro you're not probably going to get them out um, because if they don't have the entire bait engulfed in their mouth you're going to have one of these giant number two treble hooks sticking out and it's going to snag in the grass and then you got problems so so 10 pound is a no-no in the grass um, so there's another technique that i use and it's called snapping it then i'll use 17 or 20 Heavy and I'll, stuff. Heavy stuff. And, I'll, and I'll, I'm using a uh, seven and a half or an eight foot. Um, I actually use, I actually use uh, the Powell um, 7.11.6. It's a seven foot 11 heavy action cranking rod. And wow, I'll, that's a big rod. <laughs> well, because you can, you could bomb it out there yeah. a mile, but when you're snapping it, okay, I'll hold the rod tip in front of me about head height and I'll reel straight to the bait. As soon as I hit the grass, I just pull it back and I keep reeling it. Hit the grass, pull it back and keep reeling it. The, the, long, the long rod gives me the ability to really snatch it through the grass because I have leverage. If you're using a short crank. And you're going, are you going straight up with your rod yeah. so the bait doesn't dive deeper right. and actually dives parallel or slightly up? hundred percent that's okay. exactly so it'll dive down and when i snap it it snaps up like that instead of wanting to go down farther and so that's that's a really fantastic fantastic um technique in the grass and i and i do catch a ton of fish doing this on grass edges and it's and it happens everywhere i go that there's deep enough grass for it Mm -hmm. And I say deep enough because I you have to qualify that. I'm not going to throw this in four feet of water. You, you're you're just going to get 500 pounds of grass and not be able to get the bait up. <laughs> so that's so that's what I'm looking for: steep, sharp, vertical grass edges, slow tapering grass edges in Those deeper are, water. In deeper water. So let's say from 11 to 18 feet. Even 20 feet, if the grass is 20 feet deep, but it, it doesn't, it only comes up to 14, that's money. Um, so the deeper the grass is, depends how high it comes up. And so you can fish it right over the top of it. If I got grass that's coming up 20 feet, and most of you guys down south are never going to see that. Um, but if I got grass that is tops out at 20 feet, I'm throwing this over the grass all day long because the bass are, they're suspending in the tops of the grass mm -hmm. and they're coming up to eat the bait fish. So it's a really, really good technique. Um, another, another really good, um, you know, a lot of your grass lakes are clear just because grass is a filter, they're clear. So I have two new colors coming out with some of the other colors that are coming out. Now, the other colors, I'm not going to call them new, but they're new to the DD-22. They're actually in the in the um, Fat Boys right now. But I have two colors coming out. One of them, you guys saw when we did the um, paint job. Um, the article. The paint job article. Um, this, is, this is called Envy. I've been wearing this out on some of these clear lakes. The this bait is semi-transparent, but it has a completely different look in the water. And so this was one of my go-to clear water baits, but I fished it in off-colored water. And as you know from the article, it actually changed color and it looked more whitish. Another bait that I did was I wanted a real, real, real natural looking uh, shad pattern. So I painted this gizzard shad, um, true gizzard shad. 
Um, th this bait here looks just like a gizzard chad in the water. It's got blue pearls, green pearls, and purple pearls in it. The back looks black, but it's really like a smoky, transparent black color. Okay. With with flake in the back that you can see it changes like from purple to blue when mm -hmm. I move it. This is another this light this color here works in just about all water conditions. Um, but it's so natural that it really represents well in clean water also. But in dirty water, this bait looks bright white which is crazy because it's semi-transparent, but it does. So these two colors are the brand new colors coming out. And then, of course, I've got um, Harvest Moon, which is coming out in it. This color is really neat. It's got an olive back with smoke. It's a smoke forehead with olive back. Wow, um, that really catches it right there. <laughs> right. Blue, That's a blue. lot of blue on the back. Yeah, blue pearl. It's blue pearl, actually. And then the sides are an off-white, bonish color. Mm -hmm. And then the belly is white pearl. It's it's really hard to see the detail in there. But it's can... showing up really good right now. Perfect. This is another good color of mine. Anytime the water clarity is two foot or less, I'm throwing this. Because this thing stands out like a light bulb in the water. Um, another color, which you got to forgive me because this is beat to death because I've been fishing this for a long time, is olive blue. Nice. This color here is another masterful fish catcher. You can see it's just beat to death. <laughs> kind of like it like that. Yeah, I do too. It makes it look mean. It makes it look evil. And then we have colors that you'll see in the Fat Boys, like Holy Shad, which is a semi-transparent gray silver shad pattern with a white gut, purple pearls on it. Big old, um, big old dot on it. Yeah, real visible, real visible. And then, um, and then Evu. This is another really good color. Mm -hmm. Here, let me take it out. This is stupid. All right. Ooh, that was dangerous. Yeah, that was close. That was dangerous. But we're living on the edge. And then Evo, it's like extra virgin olive oil. And basically, if you can see the pearls in the side, it looks like oil. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, just another, good. yeah, it's another really, really good bait. So those are those are those are what's coming out um on lurenet.com. These are some of the colors coming out. There's a couple of more colors that, well, I don't know where they went, but there's a couple of more colors also, um, and they'll and they'll they should be out within the minute. <laughs> okay, check check lurenet.com. Yeah, so, so those were mostly shad colors. If you know that they're on like little bluegill on that grass, let's say you're pulling that DD22, are you going to throw like a tropical shad or something down there on them? Something hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Because some of the some of the standby colors you can never do without. Yeah. Like like tropical shad, you can never not have that, because that works in every water condition, including clear water, which blows my mind. Um, chartreuse and blue is another one. Um, yeah. that is like I don't understand what it is about the chartreuse and blue, but I've probably caught more bass in my tournament career on chartreuse and blue than any other color which is which is ludicrous if you think mm -hmm. about it but back then when that color came out they didn't have all of this available yet to them yeah that we have now so now we're tweaking things out so tropical shad's definitely going to be in them uh in them on the new release um there's another thing about the dd22 that i've mentioned a million times but i want to i want to re-mention it it's made from butyrate Butyrate plastic. I wish I had a clear body with me, but I don't. Oh, you could see kind of through a couple of those. So butyrate plastic is a it's a softer, it's softer than ABS. So so what does that mean? That it's not durable? Absolutely not. They're 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 both as durable. 
But because it's softer, what happens, two things happen. The sound it makes is dull. It's dead. It's thumpy. It's not tinny, okay? The sound it makes. The, I found that the dull, thuddy sound that it makes gives the, the bass's lateral line. They, they, can, they can feel this bait and hear this bait, and they kind of know exactly where it is. It's, it's like a bullseye on a target for them. They know exactly where it is. So you go, whoa, why do rattle baits work so much? It's all kinds of different sounds. They can hear a rattle bait a mile away. But until they see it, they can't really zero in on it because of the noise is everywhere. So they can't really zero in on it. So all Normans are buterate. So, so, I, so I was fishing a fat boy one day to prove the theory on, on the buterate dull thud sound. And most of the bass, when I was, I was fishing isolated stumps, so it was really easy. You just throw behind the stump, you bring it over, plow it into the stump, and the bass eat it. So I made a cast out and I was bringing the bait behind the stump and the bass came from the front of the stump over it and ate the square bell. The bass knew exactly where it was before it even saw the dang thing because he, he ate it behind the stump, but he was in front of the stump. And I watched the whole thing happen and I was absolutely astonished because I didn't even hit the stump yet to have the bait ricochet off of it. The bass knew where it was. He came right around that stump over to the top and got it. And I was like, holy smokes. That, that proves the theory because there's no way on earth that it would know exactly where the bait was. And so that's, that's one of the attributes of buterate. The other attribute is, you know how when you guys have crankbaits and you got one that just seems like it's magic? Well, buter at the chambers in here. I don't know. No, you're never going to be able to see that because I got the gut bag over the chambers. But you can almost Dang see it gut over bag. right there. You can almost yep. see one of the chambers. Okay. As as that metal ball goes back and forth in the crankbait over time, a little white dust forms in there because of the buterate. It changes the sound a little bit on the bait. And I found the older they get, the better they work. So I'll put a dot on the bill of my real old ones, a little black dot right on the chin of the bill, right underneath there, mm-hmm. that I know that if I'm fishing for money, that's the cult, that's the bait I'm having tied on because it's got the age to it. You know what I mean? So these are things. Now you can do this with all your crankbaits, not just Normans. And you should. You should take out all your deep diving crankbaits especially if you have forward-facing sonar and you should see how deep they run on each of the pound test lines that you have because every bait will be a little bit different and pause them see what it does on the pause see how it's it's deflection characteristic is is it wide is it narrow you have to know this because if you're fishing wood you don't want wide kickouts you'll Mm -hmm. snag every time you want something narrow. If you're burning a crankbait over a rock, you want mm-hmm. something narrow so it kicks out digs, kicks out digs, doesn't kick out and go real wide. Because if you're burning a bait in and it does real wide, it's there's a point of no return where you hit it and then it flutters up and then you just miss seven feet of what you want to crank. Now, let me ask you this. You're talking about this and the deflection and kind of getting it stuck and backing it out and getting it mm-hmm. barely caught in the grass. Now, the DD-22s come with, I mean, they're a big hook. They're number two. Round oh, yeah. Round. 100%. Uh, Big hook on those things. Lightning. I think they're gammies. I'm not sure. I don't know what's on them. I, they, I know they used to be like the old. Yeah, they used had. to be gammies. I don't know um, what they are now, if they're mustads or what. But anyway, they're still number twos. Right. I'm going to show you why I know where you're going. Go ahead. Yeah. Why don't you just drop it down to a three or a four so it's smaller, so you have less hook points. So when you're going over this stuff, you have less swing and hook swing to get caught in it why don't you drastically downsize your hook size when you're bringing this thing through trees and over grass okay a you don't have to with this bait but you see how wide the bait is okay so that you look where the number two sits on the belly perfectly in line with the belly right there 
Okay. With the two hooks that are up against the. So the bait's sitting like this with the hook on the belly. If you use, if you put a number four on that, the two outside hooks are resting on the inside of the body. Okay. They're not, they're not coming off the side of the body. Oh, so it's actually more snag it's, resistant it's with the number twos than it is the fours. Well, and if the fish takes the bait, number fours aren't wider than the body. Your hooking percentage goes down. Ah, oh, I see what you're saying. So I never, I never put small hooks on this bait ever. Okay. I throw it with the number twos. And when it's running, it's running like this. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the belly hook will be up like that. And the back hook will be up like that. Okay. Now, here's another thing. If you notice, look at these treble hooks. There's a wrong way and a right way to put them on. So if you see my back hook here, the middle hook point is up. And if you look at my belly hook, the middle hook point is down. So that means these two hooks on the side are riding up like this on the bait. If it was the other way, you'd be fighting the hook point. It, the hook point would be fighting this bait. You follow me? Yep. So if the bait's like that, when the bass takes it, the top hook point goes in the roof of his mouth. The bottom hook point goes in his lower jaw. And that's why that's why I put them that way. I do that on everything, all my jerk baits, all my crank baits. The two on a jerk bait, if you're using a three hook jerk bait, the two belly hooks, the 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 hooks ride up on the side, hook point down, and the back hook, the hook points up. That's the that's the proper way to to put hooks on a crankbait. All right, now I'm gonna pull this up here because you talk about uh, you talk about the action of it and how it backs up and everything. I've always thought it was odd how far away from the bill or from the body of the bait the line tie is on a DD22. Is that part of what gives it its unique ability and action and kick out? Is that positioning of that line tie so far away from the body of the bait? Yeah, correct. And it also helps the bait run. Um, if it's too close, this bait won't run well. It, you'll have rolling. You'll get a rolling effect on it. There's too much bill in front. There's too much bill in front of the line tie. It 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 doesn't have enough action. It doesn't have enough pull to to make the bait wobble wobble off the pivot point. If it's up okay. here, it wants to spin out on you all the time. So okay. it, so that's why it's over here. Now the other thing that's that I like about the DD22, it's got a reinforcement underneath the where the line tie mm -hmm. is. So th this line tie, the line ties on these DD-22s are nice and sturdy. Even though it's a thin wired line tie, it's sturdy because it's got, it goes all the way through that big thick part of the bill. The, the also, the, 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 the line tie placement allows for a little tighter wobble and a little more pitch and roll to it. So the line, the line tie placement will change how that bait pitches and rolls and how tight it vibrates. So you want to pay attention to that too. in a lot of crankbaits. Now, can you, can you tune a DD 22? Like you can smaller super, baits and stuff super or is it easy? It super, is. Super, I didn't know. Super basically. Easy. Here the, the DD 22 and the deep little N are probably the easiest two baits on earth to tune. Um, if you look at, at the line tie here, yep. It's above the it's above the bill, okay. And it's a thin line tie, okay. I'll do I'll just do the DD twenty two since we're talking about it. Same thing, it's it's a it's above the bill, flat above the bill, and it's a thin thin line tie. It's not a big fat line tie. These baits are super super sensitive to tuning, mm -hmm. so you can over tune them easily, especially if you're tuning fat free shads or Strike King XDs. Um, something with the recess cup in the bill and the line ties in the recess. Um, those require more pressure to tune. If you're used to tuning those and you go to tune one of these, you'll pull your hair out because these 
require <laughs> almost nothing. You to go do. left to right to left to right. Right, exactly. And you're and okay. you're fighting it all the time. These baits are so delicate to tune. They're the easiest crankbaits, in my opinion, to tune. Um, you could. No, I'm not going to show you the teeth. Haven't technique. you said in the past that you you can tune them without pliers? You can even like take your thumb and just put pressure on it, and that much can make a difference. You can do that. You have to use you have to use yeah. the split the split ring as yeah. your solid point, and then you push the split ring up to it, and yeah. then you can push it over and tune it, or you can just go like that and oh, tune it oh, like that. Come on, Uncle Frank. But, but you don't want to do that because you see i have a chipped tooth yeah so yeah. uh as when it comes to tuning then and i think i've got this down right but i just want to know what your opinion is on it how do you know that a crankbait is 100 percent properly tuned and acting as it is supposed to because whether you um, you you bang it off it gets caught in something like you said i mean these things it happens to every single bait it gets a little bit out of whack but how do right. you know when it is perfect and a hundred percent dialed in and acting like it should. And when you need to do a little tweaking on it. I I'm so glad you brought this up because this is so important. You, I see guys do this always. They put five feet of line out, put their rod in the water and pull it. And it runs straight. They go, it's tuned. Well, it's not because you're not letting the bait dive to what it has to do. It doesn't have to go to depth. It just has to swim the way it's supposed to swim. When you put five feet of line out and you sweep the water, you're you're pulling the rod parallel to the top of the water and you're forcing the bait to run in a way that it's not really going to run for you. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll take it and I'll throw it out about 12 feet and I point the rod straight at the bait. And I reel it in at a moderate retrieve speed. And you'll all of a sudden, you'll see the line is either going to walk one way or walk the other way. And then you know it's not tuned. And so then I pick it up. And whichever, if, if it's going, whatever way it's going, you tune the opposite. But you don't, you never twist the line tie. You want the players on the line tie perfectly perpendicular to the bill. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go like this or like this. And it's not that exaggerated, trust no, me. No, it's you just barely a, touch it. But you want the line when you're reeling it in to be in a perfect straight, straight line. line. And okay, so if it's not, what are the downsides? What if you're going a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left when you're retrieving it? Can There's, you still catch fish like that? Or well, th there are times when I'll do that on purpose. Like if I'm fishing docks or metal retaining uh -huh. walls. I'll untune a bait so it's slamming into the retaining wall. Or if I'm fishing a boat dock, I'll untune it a little bit. So I come around the dock I pole and it goes underneath and comes out. But here's but nine times out of 10. You'll never, if the bait is not tuned, you never get it to depth. The longer your cast, the farther it goes out to the left or the farther yep. it goes out to the right. And so consequently, what happens is you're not even going down. It's just going sideways in the water. You're not even near where you got to be. The other problem with that is if you're fishing an untuned bait and standing trees or timber, oh, yeah, you're ramming the hooks right into the trees. If you could reach the trees, you're slamming the hooks right into mm -hmm. the side of the trees, the stump, the whatever. So you have to be. It has to be tuned. A properly tuned crankbait runs true to depth. You could burn them and they stay straight. There's, You just get the most fishability out of a properly tuned bait. Now, like I said, there are times when I'll untune one, but I'm not fishing 30 feet deep, 20 feet deep, 18 feet. I'm fishing super shallow. The mm -hmm. baits I'm untuning are shallower baits, and I only need them to go down three to four feet. But like on a retaining wall, I want it banging into the bottom edge of that wall. And a boat dock, I want them going underneath the boat dock. Okay. So there's method to the madness. I'm, do you also subscribe to the when you crank it in, you want it to go under the boat, turn around, and then feel it wobbling when it comes back up? To me, that's the holy grail of crankbaits. Yeah. When you cast it and the bait literally goes underneath you, and when you go like this, it turns around and it comes, wiggles yep. up. It doesn't come. To, that's how you and, – and it's hard to do that. Now, can you do this? Let's say you've got like, okay, I've got a box of old DD 22s. Oh yeah. Like 
like I, I kind of hit the Holy grail. I found a place in Oklahoma that was a hoarder's paradise. And the guy used to have a tackle shop. He had thousands of DD 22s up in the attic that were all oh my for like God. two bucks. <laughs> yeah, I told you that cool. story, but I mean, they're so old. Some of the ball, the Paul has become powder in there. A lot of them are, uh, are frozen. The balls are, you know, the rattles are frozen. But, so I if, mean, if can, the rattles are frozen on the yeah, old ones, yeah, just go like this and take it and go like mm-hmm. that, and then turn it around and do the same thing. I know, and it and it should bust everything free in there enough to get it to move. Now, if they got moisture in them, mm-hmm. you can forget it because okay. the, the ball corroded and it's literally welded itself to the butyrate you'll never get them okay. to work but when Might you have a couple them, like don't, that. don't don't bang them like this don't bang them on the top of the bait the the very top of the bait you want to do the side of the bait right the side and don't okay the normans are massively durable because they're coated in gel coat yeah okay but there were some of them made with muted colors that were not gel coated yeah i've got those i've got like some green some yes Yes. So you, you don't want to bang them on a hard tabletop, although you can. The gel-coated <laughs> ones, you can. Frowned upon. Yeah, the gel-coated ones, you can. But remember, butyrate is glued together. Okay. It's not sonically welded like ABS. It's glued together. And so what happens is, if there were any, any um, thin applications in that bait, if you bang them on the seam of the bait, you could right. crack them if they're not gel coated. If they're gel coated, you could drop them out of your car window doing 60. It won't hurt it. All right. Let me ask a couple more questions about this. If you're good, you're good with that. Uh, yeah, I'm done. Totally. What about the, I've got a bunch that say like plus four or suspend mm. on the DD 22s past that. Do they even make those anymore? And what were some of the advantages of those? The suspending DD 22s were heavier. They'll get down deeper. Are they good? You like them? Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Okay. They had an HD, which which was the heavy D. It's okay. a, a full one ounce DD twenty two, and that bait you can cast a mile and a half, and you can get it down almost twenty feet. So but you got just a suspend or plus four or something on the. If, if it's a suspender, it's pretty much the same as the HD. Okay, I've got a bunch of those. I love them. Yeah, they're good baits, really good baits. And then are you open to color suggestions? Because there's a color that I used to love at the DD22 that I don't think anymore. It's like a sparkle avocado. Can you put, do you have it on the computer? Uh, I was looking it? for it. So if it was, if it has sparkle in it, it's gel coated, which is a plus. Gel, I like the gel coat too, because it adds more weight to the bait. Gives you a slower rise to it. And I love that slow rise because when you pause it, it's sluggish. I catch a lot of fish on the pause. A lot of times what I'll do with the DD-22 when I'm cranking it, I'll hit something and I'll pause it for a second and then start to retrieve again. I, I've had fish literally take the rod out of my hands on the pause. They, for whatever the reason, they just plow it. So you, you always want to vary the retrieve until you figure out the cadence the bass wants. I can't see it. I'll have to. I'll have to. Sh- yeah, dig have one. To dig one out of the box. Dig one out of the box. Holy yeah, God, you'll have to it. show it to me if you can find it, um, and then I'll be able to see what color it is. If we get a good response on a on an old color, um, we could bring it back. So if 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 guys out there had a color they loved and they're like, oh my gosh, this was the bomb, and now they don't make it anymore. It's very similar to that color. That I think is was their Tennessee Shad version. Yeah, I've got one. I, I, I'll have to. The Tennessee Shad version's a little more yellowy brown than olive. Yeah. But I think I I think I know the color you're talking about. I just don't recall the name of it. I have to go grab time. it. <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, so just remember that. I mean, if you guys have an old color you want brought back, if I get enough people that want it. They'll throw it in the paint shop with 300. And then if that goes well, who knows? Yeah, the we sky's can, the limit. 
Right. We can get it out on a limited run and um, then you can get it. I mean, we did that with Canary. We brought Canary back. We put it in all of them. Yeah. And then guys went crazy. They bought it all. Is there a um, time of the year that you would say that the DD-22 with that thud and that uh, swimming motion, the way it swims, is there a – I mean, there's a bunch of different styles, but is there – have you found throwing it when they're in that depth range and you're catching it, there's a specific time of the year that they react to that swimming style and sound better than others when that's going to be your first go-to bait? I, I, I haven't noticed <clears throat> a time of the year that mm -hmm. that occurs. I have noticed – there are times when it means everything and times when it means very little. Um, in other words, there are times when they're just smashing crankbaits. And so if I, like, if I run through a school of fish and I got my, I'll have a fat free seven on and a DD 22. Mm -hmm. If I'm catching them good on the seven, I'll stay with the fat free seven. But before I leave the structural element, I'll run back over with a DD 22 and I'll catch a lot of fish that I'm, not catching on the fat free with it. Conversely, if I'm catching them on the DD-22, I'll run the fat free over them as a cleanup bait and catch the ones I miss. So here, so here. Those are drastically different signatures, are they not? Completely different. They're, comp look, the, 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 the fat free, the fat free series is more mm -hmm. like, um, if I had to compare it to a line that's available today, I would call it the Strike King series. Okay. The Norman NXS is comparable to probably um, probably the, the Strike King XD series, okay? And so and then so you have to look at that now. The DD twenty two doesn't run it doesn't run at all like any of those baits. It's completely different. Um, your your fat free shads, your Strike Kings, they're kind of more of a flat sided bait. Um, wider bill on them, mm -hmm. have a wider wobble, little tighter pitch and roll to them. It's not, it's, I don't want to say that the DD 22 has a lazy action because it's not lazy. It's not crisp, but it's not right. It's not concise. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it does things. How's this? It's more like throwing a swim jig instead of a chatter bait as far as the feel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're not going to feel every. So yeah. I'm thinking if I'm fishing as a co-angler, if I'm fishing on something that's highly pressured, like if I'm a co-angler and it's a crankbait bite, I'm going to want to have something like this on behind my guy who's throwing a 6XD or uh, a bomber, a fat-free shad, any of those baits because I'm targeting a completely different lateral line and a completely different signature, and I'm still getting that bait down in the same in the same zone. Yeah, because sometimes bass won't react to mm -hmm. a bait and some subtle difference could make them change their mind. And so you like here, dude, I want to get back to the time of year thing. So just remind me, but I'm going on a tangent that you just said. Um, I, a million years ago, I drew out with Shaw Grigsby on Santee Cooper. Golly. And the irony was I had potlucked a couple of opens as a non-boater because I just wanted to see what it was all about back, back when I was a real young dude, I just wanted to see what was, what it was all about as fate had it. I drew out with Shaw Grigsby. So we were coming back into the Creek where we launched and there was everybody that came in, you know, that had 10 minutes left or 15 minutes left, just started fishing. the Hail creek. Mary. Right. It's like, I can catch one. Shaw reaches in his box. He's digging around. He pulls out a DD-22. He puts the DD-22 on. He gets be behind everybody. Everybody's fishing the bank, and he's behind them. And he goes, I'll catch one on this, because those guys ain't even fishing for these fish. And don't you know he catches like a six-pounder? Yeah, like... like <laughs> Two minutes, awesome. two minutes yeah. left to go, dude. He just, he just, that'll get the old mustache twitching. Oh dude. Right on. Um, and, and it was hilarious because Shaw and I actually became friends after that. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, one day, dude, I'm going to be fishing 
against you on the pro tour because it was the pro tour back then it wasn't the elites or top 100 or mm -hmm. whatever the hell it was called and so top 150 back then yeah top 150 and so lo and behold probably literally probably uh, god i don't even know how many years later but it was a ton of years later um i i was fishing the elites and hooked up we we, we Shaw and i went out to dinner and he said he goes dude i fished with hundreds of people that all said they're going to fish and compete on the this level someday he goes you're the only one that did it and i started <laughs> laughing i said dude i've been trying i've been wanting to do this since i was 14 that's all i can tell you it, it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be no you know yeah uh okay time of year i was supposed to remind you about yeah time of year so so i i'll i start fishing the offshore stuff probably the middle second week of june um depending on what latitude i'm on you know longitude latitude line what what i'm on if i'm down south i'll start fishing them before june um but it really gets good let's say the first week of june to the month of june is outstanding um the mm -hmm. farther north you go it's going to be a little later because the bass are a little bit behind um the, because you're you're really going true end of post spawn for the dd22 but the amazing thing is is that i'll fish this bait all the way through november what Go ahead. should i have these tied on for shell beds on the harris chain in october in florida if they're deep enough or yeah, or, or, like if, 14 or to 16 foot shell beds Oh, absolutely. Based on I'm, what you talked about as far as the kick out and the thud and it's 220 100%. boats, like I would imagine that that could be a little unique, different. Oh, do, form. make no mistakes about it. And over there, I just throw it on 17 fluoro because you, you want to kill some of the depth. Uh, okay. You know, now if you're if you're finding shell beds in 17, 18, you're going to have to go to 12 or 14. Yeah, but, but if it's 12 um, to 14 foot. I mean, oh, yeah. All day long. It's great. Crankbaits in Florida is kind of underrated. Yeah. A lot of guys don't do it. Mikey Balls does it a lot. Did it a yeah. lot. It's a, it's a fabulous, fabulous technique. Fabulous. Did I cut you off? Was there was there some other train of thought that you were going with with that, or were we just kind of picking up some of the odds and ends with the? DD no, I just I just wanted to talk about seasonality because <clears throat> really the DD twenty two and the deep little N, um, I fish a lot during a rig season because the bait you can slow it down it does its thing it's not obtrusive it just it's a good bait it's just a really good bait i'll put, like last year i put it or two year two two winters ago um i put the dd22 and the deep little end down in december because i noticed i was catching more fish on a flash mob so i i put it down um, but up until then, I was just crushing them, crushing them on it. This is completely irrelevant, but I just thought it was funny when I was looking up my uh, avocado sparkle. Yeah, what'd you find? There it is, L.A. Girl. L.A. There Girl avocado go. sparkle figure dale there. <laughs> there you go. That's outstanding. <laughs> That's so well, funny. This is a, a little bit of a throwback show with a little bit of a new twist to it. Uh, so, I mean, it, obviously there are new colors on the horizon expected. Immediately. Immediately over on uh, LureNet.com. And if you are over on LureNet.com and would like to make some uh, purchases, we do have a loyal listener code. Thank you to the folks over at LureNet for that. Capital BTL23 at checkoff gets you 15% off regularly priced items. Yeah. Uh, and that that runs through the immediate, I mean, that runs through the, the end of the year, I believe. Yeah, December 31st. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you're looking at a at a seven and a half dollar bait and 15% off, you're you're under uh you're under seven bucks for a for a plug, which is hard to find these days. Yeah, and they're durable as could be gel coated. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing. Um, like I said, I, I, I wanted to get, I wanted to kind of get in the weeds on this bait because I like, um, it. you know, because I, 
the young angler today, I don't think they even heard of this bait. I would and, venture to say that out of the top 10 right now in the Bassmaster Open standings, four of them have a DD-22 in the boat. That's not bad. 40%. Yeah, but that's yeah, but then ten. I think ten years ago, everyone had a DD oh, yeah. two in the boat. That's what. Oh yeah, I, I had boxes of them in my boat, mm-hmm. and I refused to ever take them out. Um, it's just one of those. It's just one of those deals, and and it it catches fish for me today, like it always did. Um, you know, it's a it's a really good tool, and you have to understand that certain crankbaits do certain things and you need those certain things at, at certain times. So what happens is I've got, you know, I've got my, my DD 22s, my fat free shads, um, my striking XDs, you know, all the way down the line, because I want crankbaits that do different things Mm -hmm. because you have to make sure, especially if you're casting for cash, you have to make sure you're not missing the deal that could put four and five pounders in your boat or multiple two pounders in your boat or and, one four pounder in your boat. Cor- correct. Or in Shaw's case, one six pounder on the way in. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. I've seen this work. This kind of threw me back to when I really went hard on grand Lake, uh, in 2010, 11, 12, like basically 2010 and 2015. And it was the heyday of the secondary point cranking. And yeah. it was the heyday of, you know, they just, that was during the period that the sexy shad came out and they had the five, uh, the series five was striking and they had the DD 22 and a lot of it, we were still throwing a lot of mans, uh, the, yeah. deep, the deep diver with the mans, yeah, but, the 20 uh, plus. but I remember in the, the Nichols Marine tournaments with my buddy juice, juice Newton, who is not a female <laughs> country singer, but we still call him juice Newton. Uh, one of us, it's just interesting the way you talked about it. Cause one of us would have the fat, the Mark Davis signature series, fat free shad tied on. Mm-hmm. And one of us would have the DD 22 tied on when we were what, cranking it. Yeah. And your fat free back then was probably the red lettering. So was the suspender. Yeah. When you, yeah. I mean, they, when, yeah, they didn't float back up. Yeah. That was the suspender. And, but we would, we would both one of us would have them tied on and the other one. And there was always seemed to be, you know, we roll up on a secondary point and both fire it out there. And back then we were using the Garcia winches. It just come out the blue, <laughs> the, heavy, the heavy blue winch and yeah, no, crank it down there. And one of us, you know, would get bit. And then that's the, that's the plug we'd go with. Oh, we'd also throw in the, uh, the DT series back then too. Yeah. See, and that's, and, and guys in the team tournaments, that's how you got to play it because mm-hmm because you got two dudes in the boat. So now you could really start narrowing stuff down. You don't have to, you know, when you fish, when you, when I practice by myself and I'm legitimately offshore, I've got five cranking rods out with different baits on them. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily two different color schemes. Although I do always have a hot shad pattern and a natural shad pattern on, but different types of crankbaits on, I'll have two Carolina rigs going with different types of baits on and, and a football jig going. Um, and that's what, I, that's what I'll have loaded up on my deck. So I'll have a bunch of rods. They're all for the same tool for the same depth ranges, but they're different mm-hmm. baits on them all. So I can narrow it down. So, because you're by yourself. So if you're not by yourself, you can easily Say you mm-hmm. need to throw this one. I'll throw this one. Let's get a feel for what's going on. And there's a lot of guys who fish with buddies. Ton of guys. Absolutely. Ninety five percent of the time, even if you're just fun fishing, it's more, way more fun if you can get dialed in at nine a.m. instead of at two p.m. Oh yeah, D- oh, make no mistakes <laughs> about it, dude. I was fishing this tournament with a buddy of mine, team tournament, and we we were catching them on Carolina rigs all day long. Mm-hmm. like mashing their brains out, but we weren't catching any big ones. And we had about eight minutes left in this tournament, maybe 10. And we were close enough to the ramp where we could probably get there in less than a minute if we had to. And so uh, there was this one little ledge that came down. I, I fired the Carolina rig out there and, and there was a stump on the ledge in about 12 feet of water, 13 feet of water. And I missed it. So I just started reeling it back to Carolina rig, back to the boat. 
And I saw one about three and a half, four pounds swipe at the Carolina rig while I was reeling it in, getting it real close to the boat. I threw the Carolina rig down in the bottom of the boat, picked up my fat-free shad, fired a cast out there, got about four reel turns on it. Bam, I got one. I get him to the boat. I boat flip him. I tell my partner, call that. I throw another one out there. I called five in a row, and we won the tournament. That's awesome. Yeah, just because I saw that fish chasing yep. that Carolina rig down. If if I would have saw that earlier in the day, we would have been cranking most of the day mm -hmm. and catching them. All right, let me get the music fired up. <laughs> Don't sound so happy. <laughs> there it is. That was a good show, Frank. That was a good show. We've touched on D22s in the past. We've touched on deep cranking. We've touched on a bunch of different deep cranking uh, theories and tactics and patterns. Uh, but to really focus on that one bait with the new colors coming out that you designed and developed. Don't forget BTL23, all capitals. Yep, there it is. BTL23, get some 15% off uh, some of the DD22s. All right, you got anything else, Uncle Frank, or are we shutting her down for the week? We're shutting her down. We are right. closing the shop. This has been another edition of Day 4 with the man Frank Scalish. Next week, we'll see you then.